Um, yeah, I want to thank Joel. I, listen, I am so thankful that the Lord in His providence um, has, uh, Joel, that you and I get to be in the same local body of Christ because you help me worship, and I'm thankful for that. You remind me that I like liturgy, and I need that reminder. And you also make me think for just like a hair, I might be charismatic. Um, Right, yeah. It's all right. I'll, as soon as I get back into God's Word, that'll fix that. But anyways, <laughs> I'm just kidding, sort of. All right. Um, he, uh, so, so let me announce a couple of things. So, so I don't like doing announcements. I usually put them on Todd. Todd's not here. Todd's quarantining. We, so here's the thing. I don't know if you heard. We're in the middle of a pandemic. What? We are, and it is spreading like wildfire. So let me pastorally stand up and say, um, hey, don't forget your mask when you come to church. And don't forget to social distance. And while you're here with your mask, don't forget to wear your mask. Because here's the thing. I really want to keep doing what we're doing on Sunday mornings. I really want us to continue together. Now, we're going to still be online, and if you're online with us, I'm so glad you're there. And if, and if you're you know, in a place that you're not ready to come back out into all this, that's fine. It, this is, um, uh, I, I, I get that. I support that. But I, for as long as we can, I want to continue to do this and... Um, if you talk to our healthcare professionals, our hospitals are near capacity, and uh, every one of us now knows somebody that, that has it, and many of us know people who have it and have had it really bad and or gone into the hospital. Um, and so, so that's where we are, and I just, you know, Pastor, nobody told me to say this. This is entirely me, so you send the email to, to me. Um, but I promise you, I've already read that email, all right? So you just email me ditto. I'll know exactly what you mean, all right? But I want us, out of uh, care and concern for one another, um, to, to do what costs us so little, and that is to wear a mask and social distance and wash your hands and do all those things. And if you're sick, stay home. Um, we'll be right here online. So... There, I've said it. I shame people about masks. That's what is in my notes, so I did that. Um, all right, so the other thing i got to say, Todd always does this, and he knows the number, 903-437-4437. That's the number. It's the magic number, and you can text all kinds of things here. So if you're new, you're visiting, you want to connect, you just type connect to that number. If you have a prayer request, um, please text that prayer request in there. I'll tell you who sees it. So it goes to one person that ends up going to the elders. The elders and the pastor pray over these prayer requests. It's, a, it's one of the great honors we have um, to, to pray with you and to pray for you. And so pl please let us know how we can um, pray for you. And all of that's at 
437-4437. You just type prayer, and then it'll prompt you, and you can put your prayer request in, and, and we would love to, to do that. Um, all right, so let's see. Uh, 1 John, that's where we are. 1 John chapter 5. Now, I've got several, um, we, this, only, this is the next to last week in our series on 1 John. This letter written by this apostle, this beloved apostle of Jesus. He's the um, uh, last living apostle written at the end of the first century. He's writing to believers. We'll look at the first half of 1 John 5 this week, the, the second half of it next week as we, as we kind of wrap it up. Um, but I want to remind you, before we get into this, the world in which John is writing. So it's a dismal world. It's the last days of what we would call the apostolic age. And John's writing this letter probably at the end of about 60 years of ministry. Been 60 years since Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and then ascended in to heaven where he is now today, seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the, for the go word to come back and to receive his own. Well, during those 60 years, one of the things John witnessed or, or at least was close to was saw the um, Titus who in A.D. 70 was a general and then shortly thereafter became emperor of Rome, he burned uh, Jerusalem to the ground. John saw that. He uh, lived through Nero's persecution of Christians, including the martyrdom of Paul and Peter. Those martyrdoms were still hanging in the air for the church. John's exile to the deserted island of Patmos, whether that has just happened or is about to happen, it isolated the beloved disciple from all that he loved. When he's writing this, Domitian's probably the Roman emperor. He's cruel. He is a paranoid tyrant. And his reign... Uh, beginning in 82 and going all the way to um, 96 AD, his reign ushered in really the great suffering and the persecution of the church. Juvenal, who was a Roman poet at the time, he, the, the, what was going on in the air, you know, the air of the day, he said this, honesty is praised and then left out in the cold. That's how he described the day. Tacitus, who was the Roman historian of the day, he wrote this about Domitian. Even Nero from the grave. Even Nero had to turn his eyes away from the atrocities of Domitian. If ever there seemed like there was a time for the people of God to despair, this was it. Yet, when we read these verses, what you'll find is there's no hint of despair in John's letter. 
In fact, it's just the opposite. In fact, what John does is John has this clear view of the progress of the gospel all over the Mediterranean world and the expanding church and the writings of the New Testament being copied and distributed and preserved in a generation of men and women who are born again and growing as disciples of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit shining bright against the darkness of the world. John's tone is in no way a tone of despair. He looked out into the world through weakened eyes, eyes that were weakened by age, but strengthened by faith. And what he saw was victory. He wasn't frightened about the power of the evil one in this world. He was overwhelmed by the power of God and the victory of Jesus being displayed in the lives of believers that were overcoming the world. Faith in Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, this faith was growing and the gospel was on the move. In other words, and what might have appeared to be a very dark hour for the apostle and for the Christian church, victory is the word he chooses. It reminds us, it calls back to our memory the words that Jesus spoke near the end of his life, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart or be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And John is writing with all of this real optimism to believers who are in danger of losing spiritual sight. Well, they're not in danger of being lost by God. I mean, they're believers. He wants to assure them of their eternal life. He wants to assure them of their salvation. But, but in the world they were living in, it was easy to be so distracted and so discouraged by all the things they could see going on with their human eyes. Things have not changed very much in 2,000 years. You know, we at church, we're a body of believers that were always in danger of being distracted and being discouraged as our human eyes lay sight to what's going on in this evil world. And John says, there, oh, there's so much more to see. In fact, when you, when you see it rightly, what you see, you see victory. So that's what he wants to help us with this morning. So, so look at what, what he said. I'm going to read the first five verses and then come back to the rest of it. But he said, everyone who believes, this is 1 John 5, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments... For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Now listen, here's what he's saying. Faith is the victory. And the content of our faith, well, that's key, okay? And the obedience of faith, the obedience of love is what it looks like in our life. The content of faith, he begins, he tells us in verse 1 and verse 5, you can, you can look at it there in your Bibles, that the content is that Jesus is the Christ, verse 1, and then in verse 5, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, John's already told us, he's already spoken about the Christ in this letter. I'll remind you, in, ver, in chapter 1, verse 3, he's the one with whom believers enjoy fellowship. In chapter 2, verse 1, the righteous one who makes intercession with the Father. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation. In chapter 2, verse 22, uh, the the one, um, he's the one, this Christ is the one whom the Antichrist denies. In chapter 3, 23, the one in whose name alone people are commanded to trust. In chapter 4, verse 2, the one who has come from God in the flesh. As John's told us about Christ, what John wants to stress, he's stressing this part of it, that he's stressing that to believe... In Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. The eternal Son of God, born into a moment of history and took on flesh, and to believe that He is the Savior is to have been acted upon by God in a dynamic and transformative way. That for you to have faith and for you to believe what this means is not that you've just mentally assented to some facts. That's part of it. There are facts. There's content of faith. You want to believe that. But But he's saying more than that. When you have faith, what it reveals is not only what you believe, but what has been acted upon you by God in a dynamic and transformative way. See, faith, John's going to say, is the means by which, or maybe better in John's thinking, the evidence that we are born of God, begotten by God. Maybe the very best translation is fathered by God. We talked about this last week. And John's focusing on the results in our life from having been fathered by God. Now, I'll make just a quick note about this. John, John kind of runs past it in his, in his writing, but, but the way he says it reveals this sort of deep abiding theology about salvation. When he says that we're born of God or we're, we're begotten by God or 
maybe even best, fathered by God. He uses a perfect passive for, for some of you grammar nerds. And, and to be in the, in the perfect tense, what, what it means is that so, so that God at a past moment in time you were born of God at a past moment in time, and you continue to be born of God right now in the present. And, and, and to say that it's passive is to say we didn't have anything to do with the action. We're recipients of the action of being born again. Very much like if you went to a maternity ward today and you were to interview these children that were hours or days old and say, okay, what part did you have in this whole being born thing? Well, one, they wouldn't be able to answer you because they can't talk yet. But if they could, they would say, none. I don't even, I don't even know what this is. Right? I'm hungry. That's all I know. So, that, that's what's happened to us. That's, we become believers. We're, born, we're begotten by the Father. We're fathered by God. And now he's going to say, okay, this is, what, this is what then comes from it. In verse 2, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God. How do we know if we love each other? Because we're supposed to love each other. How do we know? If we love God, he says. We, we love what God loves. We hate what God hates. We demonstrate our love for others, he's going to go on to say, as we obey God. Now, don't miss this. How are we to love one another? Well, one is as Christ loved us and laid down our life for us, laid down his life for us, which translates to how we love one another is that we love God and we obey God. Look at what he says going on in three. And, and, and by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and to obey his commandments. I know, listen, I know. I know you hate the word obey. I know it. You don't wear masks. And I don't want to either. Somebody says, you got to wear a mask. I think, no, I don't. Just, that's what rises up in me. You know why it does? Because I'm a depraved sinner by nature. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And somehow I was born and lived long enough to believe that I'm completely independent and I can do anything I want. But obeying God's commands... God says, this is how you love, you want to know how you love me, and you want to know how you love each other, you obey my commands. It's one of the ways we show people that we love them. Now, let me be careful, let me just go ahead and say it. Love does not mean total toleration of everything. Love is rooted and it's grounded in truth that obeys God in any given situation. So, see, the love that we desire the most so this, you may not know this about yourself, but I'm telling you that God's Word knows you better than you do. 
And one of the things that God's Word reveals is that the love that we desire the most is the love that wants a person to do what is right before God. That we want more than anything to be the recipient of someone else doing what is right before God. So he goes on, because he knows, he knows they didn't like it, you don't like it, the word obey. And he says, listen, the commandments in this age of grace, in, in this time of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they're not burdensome. They're not a heavy load. Do you know what heaviness is? you know what burden is? Is when we don't obey God. The Spirit of God prompts us and helps us and empowers us to obey God. That is why it's not a burden. And the relationship that we have with other believers goes far beyond having the same beliefs and the same values. It includes that. But the relationship we have with each other goes far beyond that. We're in the same family because we have the same Father. And because of that, we love each other for whose we are. Because my Father is your Father. So we love each other. I think about it this way, like obeying His commandments. Think about it in this country. These are the family rules. This is what we do as a family. And we don't get to define the rules. God defines the rules. The Father defines the rules. I, I Growing up, my kid's growing up in my house and still have one kind of growing up. Although she's super teenager-y these days. But, but, I, but I love, Catherine, I love that. She's at home, she's watching this. I, and I love you. And, um, and I do, and she knows that. But the two rules, if you ask my kids, what, what were the rules growing up? I said, well, I only had two. Which most kids would think, two? That's that's awesome. Well, wait till you hear the two, all right? Here's one. Don't lie. Don't lie. I don't care what the truth is. I mean it. It will always be better for you than a lie. Just one rule. Here's the second rule. Don't disrespect your mother. They don't get to define that. I do. You know, they're being disrespectful. And I said, whoa, come here. So, no, I didn't disrespect her. I said, well, you don't get to define that. I do. There's the rules. In a lot of ways you disrespect your mother. When you fight and bicker and stress her out and then then she's mad at me. <laughs> You've disrespected your mother. Here's the command. We lay our life aside for each other. See, in this family, we don't seek our own good apart from or to the exclusion of each other. 
It's love. It's not reduced to a formula of boxes to check. There are many ways that we express love, and some of those ways are absolutely unique to you. That you will love another in ways that are unique to you that we desperately need. You think about it this way. If you wanted to write out in the margin, if you do that, 1 John 4.10 next to 1 John 5.3. Think about it this way. 1 John 4.10, this is love that God sent His only Son. That's love from God's perspective. 1 John 5.3, this is love that we love one another and we obey God. This is love from the believer's perspective, how we demonstrate that love. We love one another. Now, real quickly, because I I got a lot more here. In verses 4 and 5, he's talking about, he's going to start using this word overcome, overcomer, victory. You know, the word behind it is Nike. It's where we, you know, to, to win, to overcome. As believers, what he's saying is we've overcome the world because we have been fathered by God, believing that Jesus is the Christ who is the Son of God and loving his children. Our victory is our faith. So, this is what he said Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Christ the Messiah, who really came in the flesh, really had a body, really lived a life, really died and shed real blood. And he's saying that in the hearing of, he's writing it for the hearing of the docetists, the Gnostics that are trying to infiltrate the church and saying, no, 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 the Christ was just a phantom. Jesus died, but he wasn't the Christ, and there's no, nothing salvific or atoning about it. But what John is saying is that Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Christ, the Messiah, to believe anything less about Jesus is to believe in somebody who does not have the ability to save us from the power of the godless world. to remind us about the world in 1 John 5, 19. If you've got your Bibles, he says, we know that we're from God. Then here's the contrast. We're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What John's saying here is, if you're a believer, you've you've been fathered by God. You've been born of God. And you have faith that Jesus is the Messiah, He's the Christ, He's the one who saves, and He is the Son of God. And victory in the Christian life is something that you as a believer, you already have. The child of God is going to overcome the world. We do not overcome the world by fighting the world. Victory comes by faith. You remember where faith comes from, what, John, what, what Paul says in Romans? Faith comes 
from the hearing of God's word. Faith in verse 5 is the belief that Jesus is God's son. Faith is more than a philosophical belief in a supreme being. We got to stop that nonsense. Faith is more than just saying, I'm spiritual. Well, of course you are. Faith is believing that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. It is a life-changing experience of the one who made us who we are. And this overcoming is for everyone who's begotten for everyone who's been born of God, for everyone who's been fathered by God. This is not some privilege or experience reserved for those who have an elevated plane of maturity. Today's victory for the believer. Listen, the temptation that you face today in this world from from your flesh or from the world or from the devil that you face today, you can have victory. You can be an overcomer. Because victory today is grounded in Christ's victory. You can overcome today by faith, by believing Jesus saved you and saves you Faith in Jesus as the Son of God who saves. It is sufficient enough to live a Christ-like life in the midst of a satanic world. The provision for this victory over the world is the simple confidence, the, the faith in the power of another. Do you believe him? Well, all of this really, if, if you look at it and realize it, what's happening is verses 1 through 5, it's an exposition of, of one verse in John's gospel. In fact, John says it in John chapter 20, verse 31. He gives the reason for writing the gospel. He says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God what he's just said. And that by believing, you may have life, which means eternal life that starts now in his name. Because of that, because you've been begotten by God, you believe Jesus is the Savior and the Son of God. You have victory. You're an overcomer. Well, so what John's going to do is really kind of amazing. What John's going to do is he's going to take all that he said in, in verses 1 through 5, and then he, it's like he's going to create a courtroom scene, and he's, and he's going to call witnesses to the fact 
that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one promised by God. And so what John's going to do is say, look, these are the things about you. You've been born of God. This is, this is all that's happening, and you, you love each other now, and you love God. And, 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 and more than that, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm, in a court of law, I am going to call witnesses in fact, if you look it, it, in the English, you've got it eight times. It says testimony from verse 6 to verse 12, eight times. And actually, there's two more in the Greek that, um, that are disguised by the English word. Ten times he's going to talk about this witness, this testimony. Just listen to it as I read it. Now, we'll walk through it. I, I'll I'm following a guy, David Allen, in his commentary. Um, he, he actually envisions this courtroom scene and John calling witnesses to the stand one after the other. And So I'm going to follow his lead on this. This is what John writes, beginning verse 6. This is the one, or this is he, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. And whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Like John begins, he says, I, I call the water to the witness stand. You know, never in the history of the courts has water been called to the history stand, you know, to the, to the, to the witness stand. The, the water here is most likely the water of the Jordan where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Water of Jordan, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. I do, replies the water. You were there the day Jesus was baptized? Tell us what you saw. Yes, I was there. Jesus walked down until he was about waist deep in, in my waters where John the Baptist was standing. John immersed him, raised him up. I saw, I saw something very unusual after that. At, at first, there was, there was Jesus standing in, in me in the, in the water, and, and then I saw the heavens open up, and there was this visual sign, and a dove came and descended on him, and I heard a voice from heaven speak, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased clear as a bell. I remember that voice. And he called Jesus, my beloved son. Thank you, water. I have no further questions.
questions. Be dismissed. Somebody grab a towel. I don't know. John continues. I, I call the blood to the witness stand. Even stranger than the water. The, the blood here is the blood that Jesus shed on the cross being called to the witness stand. Do you, do you swear to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Blood, were you there the day Jesus was crucified? Were you in his body? See, this would have made the Gnostics crazy. They would have all wild-eyed as John's writing this. He says, yes, I can testify that that at his trial before Pilate, Jesus was scourged with a cat of nine tails. Punishment left his back a bloody mess. Crown of thorns caused me to stream down his face. The nails were driven into his hands and his feet. And then when he was placed on the cross, I ran down his hands and his feet and his head. Can you imagine this hushed silence in the courtroom? John says, can you tell us if Jesus actually died on that cross? Yes. I can verify that he actually died in the... And as the blood of Jesus, I bear testimony that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And John turns to the third witness and calls him to the stand. I, I call the Holy Spirit of God to the stand. I claim, he says... I want to verify, tell you a little bit about the witness, because this is what he's told us. He says, I'd like to remind you as the jury, and by the way, you and I are the jury as the readers, that I've already spoken about this witness, the Holy Spirit, in my gospel. Just before Jesus is crucified, he taught us about the Holy Spirit, telling us that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that He'll testify concerning Jesus, that He's one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is for Him to come and to point people to Jesus as the Savior. And Jesus taught us that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, does not magnify Himself, but rather He magnifies the Lord Jesus. And then it's like John turns to the Holy Spirit and says, were you present at the earthly ministry of Jesus? Yes. I was present at his birth. I was present at his baptism. I was present during his earthly ministry. I was present at the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. Is it your testimony, Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I bear witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. 
Well, it's a powerful testimony. And in verse 9, he calls God the Father to the stand to testify. Heavenly Father, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So, help you. You. I do. Heavenly Father, do you recognize this man, Jesus? Is he indeed your son whom you sent to this earth? Yes. He's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you testify that he's your one and only son and the only way of salvation? And here's the testimony of the Father, he says in verse 9, that was born about him. From the beginning, even before I created Adam and Eve, and before they sinned, causing all humanity to be stained with sin, I had a plan of salvation. And my plan was for Jesus, my Son, my only begotten, to come to earth and pay the penalty of humanity's sin. Through his death on the cross. I foretold his coming to the prophets. I sent John the Baptist as the forerunner. I sent an angel to Mary to announce to her that she was my choice to be the human mother of my son, Jesus. And though Jesus existed one with me throughout eternity, Yet he became man. And on the night of his birth, my angels sang about him. And I sent shepherds to witness him. And wise men came and observed him and paid homage to him. As a man, Jesus entered his ministry and was baptized. As has already been testified, the heavens opened up and I spoke and I said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And on the night of his crucifixion, he called out to me, Father, if it can be your will, let this cup pass. But, but it was not my will. I turned over my only son to evil men to crucify him. But I did it for a purpose, and he did it willingly. The purpose was for you, to make atonement for your sins. And my son Jesus was crucified and buried. But three days later, I raised him from the dead. And Forty days after that, he ascended to heaven where today he sits at my right hand. And one day I'll determine the time has come and my son will come again to this earth. I give eternal life as a gift. And this eternal life is in my Son, Jesus. So say I, God the Father. If this were a real scene, and we were the real jury, we'd be speechless. But here's the thing, God's Word is speaking. 
Well, in verse 10, it's kind of the surprise to me. You might think about it one of the ways Alex is two twins. And they show up and they have the same name, and their name's whoever. Look at what it says. Whoever believes in the Son of God is the testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has concerning. So I, I call whoever to the stand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? We do. The first whoever is the one who believes. John says, have you come to Jesus Christ and found him to be the Savior of your sins? I have, response, whoever. Do you testify concerning the truth of, of what I've written here in my letter about Jesus I do indeed. And he turns to the other whoever. Have you come to Jesus? Have you, have you found him to be the savior of your sins? I have not. Did, well, do you, do you refuse to believe the testimony that God the Father himself has born? I do indeed. Refuse to believe. I believe God's a liar. And that what he said about his son, Jesus, is not true. He's perjured himself. John says, okay, you may step down. Think about verse 11 and 12. They're the closing arguments. The testimony of the witnesses, he would say, is clear. It's irrefutable. God's given us eternal life and this life is in his son Jesus, and he who has the son possesses this eternal life. And if you don't have the son, you don't have life. All the money in the world can't purchase this life. Yet our salvation is the costliest gift there ever was, and the price was the death of God's son for our sins, and God himself paid the price. It's not a down payment. Then we pick up the payments. Jesus paid the price in full. And how you receive eternal life, how you get this eternal life is by receiving it. John 1.12 but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Why believe? There's no other answer to salvation. There is no other way of salvation. Life flows from the Father, the God who created you, to the Son and through the Son into us when we believe the gospel. And eternal life is not about us being good. Eternal life is about Christ being God. And do we believe that?
Do you believe it? The eternal Spirit of God, if you're a believer, has been sent to testify to you about Jesus so that you can be sure. And I'm not talking about just feelings. I'm talking about assurance. One old writer said, until the purposes of God are thwarted, and he skulks away in chagrin under the control of the universe, and the control of the universe is wrestled from his hands, and until the creature like a Frankenstein conquers the creator, until God violates his own nature and becomes a sufferer in hell, until Satan is a big enough deal to defeat the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, until the sacrifice of Jesus is no better than the death of a dog, until the Spirit goes on a vacation and proves inadequate to finish what he started, until God becomes an unmitigated liar, I'm safe. I'm safe. The way God says it in the Psalms. Until the sun does not rise, you are safe. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My faithfulness and love will never depart from you. Deuteronomy 17, 6, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, there is truth. Do you believe? John wants to know, do you believe? If you do, you're safe. If you would, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I pray you would do what only you can do. That by your word, testimony of your inspired word. Father, brought to understanding to us by your Spirit. Father, would your word not return void this morning? If there are places we need to be convicted, Father, I pray your Spirit would convict us and then we would confess that sin that we're convicted of and we would know what it is once again all over, to be forgiven and to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. That can happen right here in this moment. Father, if there's anybody here or online with us that needs to be encouraged today, I pray that your Spirit would bring that encouragement, would bring that assurance of life Father, for all of us, would you rekindle in us and refresh in us, help us to remember that you never leave us, you never forsake us, that nothing, not height or depth or breadth or length or anything that was or anything that will be or anything that's in the present. Not powers above or powers below can separate us from your 
love in your Son Christ, Jesus. So Father, we need that. That's, that's life for us. And so I pray your word would not return void, would not return without doing that this morning in us. And so we pray the only way we can, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit.